Hey, good morning. How's everybody doing? How are our cars doing? We get some honks out there? All right. So that means that you guys are already tuned to 88.3, but if someone is not, if you are in your car, 88.3 is the way to go. If you're on the lawn or in the cars, there's lyrics right down here to my right. Um, you'll see a couple of ladies in white that are down here under an umbrella, and they've got lyrics for you printed out. They're handing them out one at a time so that we stay safe with that. Uh, we have a really cool thing to celebrate, uh, and this might be a shock for them, but uh, Jerry and Miriam Morris, will you guys stand up for us? So they are our care pastors here, and a birdie told me this week that it was your 60th wedding anniversary on Friday. Is that right? Wow. I can't even, like, I can't even fathom that. It's amazing. It really is. I just wanted to say just from, from me uh, and from our church, thanks for being an example of loving each other and also loving other people so well. Um, really do love you guys, so thanks for that. Let's give them one more round of applause. Hey, so uh, let's stand up together. I'm going to read from Psalm 46 to kick off this morning. There's something about obviously gathering together that's a beautiful thing. Um, but as we gather together, God ordains that we read scripture together. And uh, it's been, I think it's okay to admit it's been a pretty crazy couple of months, two, three months here. A lot going on. And um, I think Psalm 46 is just a beautiful way to enter back into worship together. I do want to say this, Martin Luther, um, Martin Luther, when he would go through, when he would get bad news, he would get with his church or with his people and he would say, we need to read Psalm 46. We need to, to gather around this truth. And I think uh, it's a good setup for, for us this morning. It says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, Though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And then the psalm gives an instruction to think on this, to dwell on this. Verse 4 says this There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And as we read this, it's important to note the first three verses were about tumult and upheaval and, and terrible things, bad news. And yet, verse 4 is a change. It says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. This is the presence of Christ, the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a, it's a fore, forecast towards that. And verse 5 says this, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. And verse 6, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. God utters, utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. So God brings peace in the middle of destruction, in the middle of bad news. God begins to work peace. He begins to ration. And verse 10 begins to sum up that truth. Be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know that he is God. And God says, I will be exalted among the nations. 
I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us, and the God of Jacob is our fortress. Just close our eyes for a moment. I think there's something about the new environment that we're in that's so perfect um, because it just, the skies declare his handiwork, declares his glory, the birds and his creation and the grass. And so I want to take a minute and just practice the truth of, of verse 10. Be still and know that I'm God. So close your eyes and just begin to breathe in because the presence of God is all around us. to hear his creation. God, you, you govern all things. You've made all things. You command all things. You direct all things. So Lord, we're still in your presence. Our God, our firm foundation, our rock, ever-present help in trouble. Amen. Let's worship him this morning.
hands this morning. Be honored, Jesus. Be glorified.
lift him in praise that he would be exalted among the nations. Let it begin here this morning. You are worthy of it all. We raise our voice to him. You are worthy of it all. For from you are brought things. To you are all things. You deserve the glory. All honor and praise and glory be to you, God. worship you and the main centerpiece of that worship will be your grace and your mercy that the mountain of sin that our lives carried would be washed and covered in full and Lord so Lord we worship you out of that spirit this morning out of that heart that you have been a tender God that you've been a merciful God that you've been a gracious God that the gospel and your cross is enough praise you and honor you for these things, Lord. Only you could have canceled that mountain of debt. Only you could have taken that sin. Only you could have bore the wrath. It was you alone, Jesus. And so we worship you. You are the name above all names. And you are the king that has conquered death and conquered sin. And Lord, I confess my own self-reliance. I know I've talked to a few friends, just my, my own self-reliance, Lord. I give to you, I lay before you, Lord. I lay it at your altar this morning and I confess my need for your grace. I need you and your work. I need you and your perfection. I need you and your righteousness. Lord, would you cover us this morning? Would you make this a place of grace? Would it just wash over us this morning? We praise you that we don't have to labor for righteousness anymore, that we can live for you out of grace, that we can live for you, Lord, just out of that perfect standing with you that you've done, that you've worked. We lift you up, Jesus. We honor you. Praise you. All in your name, Christ. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Man, it is so good to be together. I was, uh, talking with uh, several of you last week, you know, why is it so good? And uh, I think one of those passages that we often quote, but makes something richer now is where two or three gathered, there I am. And, uh, when you're filled with the Spirit and I'm filled with the Spirit and then we get multiple people together filled with the Spirit, His presence just it, it manifests, it grows. Um, and it's, uh, it's a spiritual truth. It's not understood by this world, right? It's just not something you can see with uh, human eyes. It's spiritual eyes and something you can't touch without that connection with Christ. So it's just so good to be together. And... Um, to worship Christ together. Um, one of the things I was thinking, hey, we got two Sundays now in a row without rain. It's amazing. We will not be singing that song, Let It Rain, at all this summer. We may sing it, uh, maybe, uh, sorry, that was a bad joke. But uh, Hey, we're in this series here just talking about what it looks like to own, own it, own our faith, and in several different contexts, own it. And uh, 
working through this as a staff and just want to talk about uh, this uh, third week here. We got one more Sunday to talk about this, but I want to talk about what it looks like to own it in terms of relationships that we have. And uh, I remember back along, I don't know, almost, what is it, 18 years ago, something like that, 20 years ago, we watched this uh, TV show that PBS did, and it was uh, Frontier House, and they had taken three families and put them out in the middle of Montana to see if they could live like the olden days uh, for six months and survive. And uh, it was a fascinating show to watch what happened when these families, not only was just can they survive Montana, but could they survive each other? That really became one of the things because these families were then doing what we're doing now. And, and what it was was they were forced to live together uh, in a way that they'd never been before. And, and it was funny, to, interesting, and tragic all at the same time to watch these families try to navigate relationships now that they were stuck with each other in these homes for six months. And, and this is what we're doing. And I, I guess the question I'm asking, and uh, how are you guys doing at home? Uh, you don't have to look at each other. Uh, how are you guys doing relationally? H how's it going? Um, I, I think it's a, a piece of this as we're sitting together with uh, husband and wives, moms and dads, kids, right? Um, parents, uh, friends maybe. Um, this, this whole idea of owning it becomes really for in the forefront or has been drawn to the forefront in these last months. And there's a relationship that you have in your life that really no one else is called to be in the role that you have. You have a specific role in those relationships that no one else can fill. And I just want to talk about some of these things because I think we kind of know what categories I'm probably going to talk in. I want to talk about that, and then I just want to talk about what it does it look like, what maybe keeps us from owning it, and what does it look like to own it in these days ahead. And the obvious one here, as we begin, is uh, we'll just start Genesis chapter 2 is, is an easy one. It's right there in the beginning. It's the first relationship that God starts to talk about outside of us you know, in our connection with him. In Genesis chapter 2, he says this, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And throughout the Bible, you see this reiterated, this idea of one flesh. And, and what does it mean to become one flesh? So it's, it's a man and a woman who choose to become married. And, and the Bible, the, the vision God has for us is to become one. A husband and wife, one. One physically, obviously, but one emotionally, mentally, relationally, spiritually. And that's the vision he has, is to become one. And if you read on in Ephesians 5, he starts to explain this even more. He talks about husbands. I want you to love your wife like I love the church where I laid down my life for the church. Husbands, I want you to own it in such a way that you would lay down your life for the well-being of your wife. And he goes on to say, Wives, I want you to serve. I want you to serve your husband and so that he will find life. Serve so that he will experience love. And husband, so there's no other, there's no other woman out there that can fulfill this role. There's no other man that fulfills this role, the vows that you've made to your wife. To love her 
to pursue being one, to lay down your life. No one else can do that for her. Only you can do that for her in this role that you've taken on. Wives, it's the same way. There's no man, there's no woman out there that can fulfill the role that you have made this vow before God to do, which is to serve and to become one. And how's that going? How's it going right now? Now that you're probably more together, maybe, I would imagine most of us, than it's been in a long time with, with uh, all the virus. Are you owning that? You know, it's interesting, in March, uh, in the Wuhan province, after uh, China started to allow people to get out of their homes and lift some of the quarantine measures they'd put in place, divorces spiked during that time coming out of being sequestered at home or sheltering at home however you want to say it uh, the proximity is going to push and it's going to bring pressure onto a relationship and i just wonder how you're doing it was interesting when when we watched that frontier house we saw one marriage just they just got married and it was great for them they were on a honeymoon another marriage you literally watched this marriage dissolve right in front of your eyes week by week by week because they thought hey if we get together we go do this purpose together it'll fix our relationship and the problem was there were so many wounds that they'd already given each other there's no way the relationship could survive that much pressure and that much proximity and i just wonder how are you doing how is your marriage are you owning it the way Christ would have you own it? Another relationship I think we would all understand or probably expect, you know, me to bring up if we're talking about owning relationships is the idea of being a parent. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So parents, let me ask you something. How well are you doing owning this mantle? of a mom or a dad? How, how's that going in terms of discipling your child? And this one's hard. This one can be difficult. I love, I love the fluid nature of this where God says, as you go, do this. Not just hey, oh, set up this time, but it happens as you do life. And we're in this moment and time where this can actually become a gift to us where all of a sudden culture has thrown all priorities up in the air. And, and, and we actually have this freedom in this moment to go, wait a minute, I, I don't choose that anymore. I'm not going to let that run my life. I'm not going to let that run my home. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to choose this. I'm going to bring this in. We have this freedom in this time and age to just start saying no to things that we know are getting in the way of us owning the spiritual leadership in our home as parents. And some of you, it may be moms and dads or aunts and uncles or grandparents. Uh, some of you are family friends, and you might as well be family. Like, in fact, 
you're adopted in the family as an aunt or uncle or, or whatever. Um, you're part of this too. Deuteronomy 6 pulls in not just mom and dad, but community, the faith community. And I wonder what it looks like for us as, as we walk through this to own this. I think sometimes the church can create this, um, I, I think it's a, a misunderstanding, and, and literally take away ministry from parents and say, no, no, just bring them to church and we'll take care of the spiritual part. You know, the experts are here. And, and it's not the reality. If you read Deuteronomy 6, it's the parents' responsibility. It's up to the parents. It's primarily first, foremost, on mom and dad. And that's hard. And that can be difficult. Uh, another category is, is of relationships and ones to own are children. Exodus chapter 20, familiar commandment. Children, obey your parents or honor your father and mother, whatever translation you're used to. Ephesians 6 talks about this. Children, obey your parents. And, and he uses honor, obedience in this, this uh, in the same thing. It, it's, it's almost the same context. Honor and obedience are the same thing, attached together. So, kids, how are you doing? Students, how are you doing? And the thing is, your mom and dad could even be, what, 90. How are you doing? Honoring your parents. Like, it, it just never stops until mom and dad are not with us. It's a lifelong thing. It starts young, and it goes all the way through. So kids, how are you doing at home? Those of you in grade school, you honoring your mom and dad. You obeying your mom and dad. You don't have to look at them. If they're giving you the stink eye, just tell them to talk to the hand right now. Students, how are you doing? This isn't complicated. I'm not going to go into all the Greek and Hebrew word. Obey means obey. Honor means honor. Like It's not rocket science. But students, you in junior high and high school, you're starting to throw your elbows. You're starting to walk in a way that you want to lead your own life and you want to be on your own. How are you doing when it comes to honor and obedience to your parents? You're ready to get out of the home. I get it. What does that look like? Are you owning your relationship? And, and you don't have to look at your mom and dad and mom and dad don't look at them, right? What about those of you whose parents are older? Are you honoring them? Are you caring for them? These are some of the easy ones, right? These are the relationships that are primary. The last category is a church family. There's all these one another's that happen in the New Testament where we're pulled into the family of God. We're sons and daughters of God. Spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers, spiritual brothers, spiritual sisters. And there's something that happens. He pulls us in and he says, I want you to own the care for those who are now your brothers and sisters in Christ. And as I've looked over these last months, I mean, I've just seen this happen in community groups. I've seen this happen in the Bible studies, the men and women's ministries. I've seen this happen even in the youth ministry as, as we're watching uh, the, the leaders, the call people, volunteer leaders pursuing students. Um, there's so many different stories I'm hearing of people seeking to love, help, seeking to help seeking to care. But I want to talk about what does it look like or, or, or talk about, this is something we were kind of wrestling with, why is it hard to own this? Whatever context this is, and I'll let the Holy Spirit convict you on whatever context you're, you're having to wrestle through this morning. 
But I think one of the things that's hard to makes it hard for us to own it is um, it's it's hard to talk about God sometimes. It's hard to just even bring him up in a context of a family. It's hard to even just say we want to pray. Like, I don't know if some of you guys out there feel that sometimes. Like, how do I even say that? You, you want to pray, right? That, that gets hard to do. I don't know why. If you're sitting there as a guy and you're like, yeah, that's so hard to pray. I don't know why it's hard to even just say those words in my marriage. You want to pray, right? It comes out loud. It comes out weird. It's awkward. It's hard. I don't know why. It just is. Maybe some of us um, feel intimidated, can't bring it up. How do you bring up spiritual things? Uh, some of us, I feel, I've talked about, I've heard over the years, how do I even talk about this when I know my own life is a mess and all the things that I've done? There's all kinds of reasons. Uh, some of us, even in our own homes, struggle to love authentically, genuinely, because we've been hurt too much. It's a struggle to love mom and dad, or it's a struggle to love our kids, or it's a struggle to love in community, brothers and sisters, and, and things happen in the family the longer we live, right? C.S. Lewis says this about that dangerous love and, and how risky it is. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. Now, if you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around hobbies and little luxuries and avoid all relational entanglements. Lock up your heart safe in a casket or coffin of your selfishness, but in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. I think one of the things that God would call us to as we're looking at owning it in relationship is if you do this well, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. I'm going to get hurt. It just happens. If we really are owning relationships well and being vulnerable and loving well, we're going to get hurt. It just happens. And that's how God would have us live. It's how Christ lived. He loved us before we loved him. He loved us when we were his enemies. Like vulnerable love. Opening himself up. Another thought as we talk about this struggling to love is maybe we, we have a difficult time loving others because we don't even understand or comprehend or it's not even comprehend or understand but we don't believe that God loves us. And we'll never truly love other people until we come to that realization that God loves us unconditionally. Brennan Manning says it the best. He says, God loves us as we are not. Or he loves us as we are, not as we should be. Because nobody is as they should be. Let me say that again. He loves us as we are, not as we should be. So how are you today? He loves you as you are right now. How do you see yourself right now? And do you realize he loves you right now as you are? 
not cleaned up, not a clean up version in six months, not a clean up version after you do all the vows, not the fixed up version, not the rehabbed version, not any version other than the version you are right now. He loves you. And what happens is in that moment, when we start to live in that, his love fills us. It starts to pour into us. It starts to transform our lives. It starts to affect us. And, and he says this, those who understand that and realize that become known for one thing, love. Anyone who really truly understands how much God loves them become known for love, not for being critical, not for being angry, not for being filled with rage, not being filled with bitterness, not being afraid, filled with fear and hiding, but we're loved, and therefore we can love. I think it's interesting in our culture, everyone is shouting so loud, and everyone is so angry, and everyone is escalating and escalating and escalating. I don't know what this looks like to be a Christian who's known for love, but I would imagine as we walk in life, if we walk knowing God loves us and his love is filling us up, it will change how we move forward. It'll change how we love in our homes, love in our marriage, love in our families. I want to leave us with just this practical step uh, we were talking about as a staff, like what, what does this look like? next steps and how do you do this and um we were in there just talking and uh, someone said we don't need like a five-step thing because this really isn't complicated and they they just talked about i think it was actually lynn just said he remembers this quote from andy stanley and, and andy stanley is a pastor of a large church down in the south and he says your only responsibility is to empty your cup. Your only responsibility is to empty your cup. So Christ comes and he fills your cup with love. He fills you and I with love. And he just says, go empty it. And I'll give you more. I'll give you more. Just, you keep pouring out. And it's never going to run empty, right? If we're remaining in Christ, if we understand his love, it'll never, it'll never stay empty. It'll never be empty. It'll always be filled. Empty your cup. Empty your cup on your mom and dad. Empty your cup on your marriage. Empty your cup with your brothers and sisters. Pour out love rather than go around with the cup saying, fill me, fill me, fill me, fill me. What, what would it be like here over these weeks ahead? Students, instead of holding out your cup, you junior hires and senior hires, instead of just holding this out saying, mom and dad will fill it, fill it up, shake it around, beat it against the table. What does it look like for you students to actually pour love towards your parents? Empty out your cup on them. 
Parents, in this time where you're with your kids and you may get short and you may get irritable, what does it look like to pour out love? To give in those few moments, these rare moments that go so fast to just love. Those of you who are kind of pulled into these families, like relationship, you're friends with the family, but you're more than that. Like your moms and dads or your aunts and uncles, you grandparents who you're even taking on your grandkids. Pour out love. I encourage you here over these next few days to stop and think about this question. God, am I owning the relationships that you've put in my life the way you want me to own them? And do you think I'm loving well? Just ask those questions of him and see what he says. Let me pray. Lord, your kingdom is um, right now on this earth is not a physical kingdom. We, have, we don't have a castle somewhere. We don't have uh, any kind of a temple where you actually physically have set up shop like over in Jerusalem. Lord, we, this is a spiritual kingdom. And it, it runs on spiritual things like love, which never ends. So for each person here, for each child, I, I just release your love. For every student out there, who might think that they still have to perform for you to get your love, would you just fill them with your love right now? For every mom and dad, every grandparent, every aunt and uncle or friend of the family who is carrying a lot of burdens and trying to shelter the, the children, trying to protect and, and help lead students, Lord, just carrying a burden here, Lord, would you fill them with love? For every marriage here, struggling, healthy, wherever it is, Lord, would you just fill them with love, those husbands and wives? And would you fill every relationship, brothers, sisters, and beyond, friends? Release your love right now. You can do that on each person, Jesus. I just pray you would do that. Just give that gift to us. I thank you for your family. I think so many of us here would say, we don't know how we would do it without your family, Jesus. It's so good having you as a father. Would you go with us today, God? We're really glad to be together. We're glad to be with you. Like having it taken away and now having it back. It's so good, Jesus. It's just so good. And would you bind our hearts? Would you keep us close? in these days ahead. Amen. So speak